0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available.
2: Hi, this is Celia Cutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll,
0: Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul, the
1: Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm not your host, Damon Bolte. Instead, this is Jack Insley, the producer here. And my guest today is Damon Bolte. And if you've listened to this show, then I imagine you've come to know him to some degree as a listener of The Speakeasy. Um, but he, he does much more than host this radio show, although I wish it was all he did. So, I want to welcome my guest now, Damon Bolte, to the Speakeasy. Hey, buddy.
3: Hey, thanks for having me on the show. (laughs) How does it
1: feel to be a guest on your own show?
3: It's a little weird. I I imagine it's a little weird. At least I get to sit in the same chair, though. That's that's a little comforting.
1: Yeah, no, we wanted to take this uh, rare opportunity to uh, teach the listeners a little bit about you, because you can't really interview yourself.
3: I mean, I'm not... gary Busey, you know or tom waits
1: yeah you could try i don't really know how it would go um but i mean there's a lot for us to get into i want to start by why don't you tell everybody what you do now um what what would your official title be considered now outside of hosting this radio show
3: well i'm the bar director for primeys and frankies i think that's pretty well known uh some great uh restaurants and bars and Brooklyn and Manhattan and I also am working currently uh kind of like hopping around to some different bars checking stuff out you know it's always good to like hang out and learn from everyone I think that's a huge part of this industry so I'm working a little bit at ZZ's Clam Bar uh with Thomas Wall and Brian Miller and Phil Ward um, I'm helping out a little bit at some other places. Jay Zimmerman's new bar he's opening, uh, Extra Fancy. All these places, all these people that I love so much, you know, it's great to actually be able to work with them. And uh, I'm kind of on like uh, uh part-time level or guest level, you know, it's uh, it's just nice, you know. And, I mean,
1: you've taught classes on bourbon and cheese. I do. You've done a I, lot. I do a lot
3: of... I do consulting for brands. I'm working with uh, Brooklyn Gin a little bit. Um, and also Greenhook Gin Smiths just came out with an old-time gin with our buddy Maxwell Britton from Maison Premier. Uh, it's a barrel-aged old-time gin. They just came out last Monday. Um, pretty limited. Um, I'm also... You know, I contribute to Bon Appetit magazine um, and other publications as well. And, uh, you know, all all the while, uh, working on my own bar at the moment and working on a book and playing in a country band. <laughs> Just doing a lot of stuff.
1: You know what's funny, dude? I'm looking at your bio on Star Chef's totally clean shaven.
3: Oh, yeah, that's weird.
1: That is a weird We're, photo.
3: I wonder if I can ask them to change that.
1: <laughs> it doesn't even look like you.
3: I know. Well, you know, I, uh, I kind of... Uh, In my my stint in New York City, which has been about almost nine years, I started out with long hair and a beard, and then I kind of went through some cycles of shaving, mustache, short hair, long hair, and now I'm back to long hair and a beard. It's like that old saying where you you, uh, spend the first half of your life trying to get away from where you're from, and the second half trying to get back there. I feel like I'm at the end. (laughs) I I hope I'm not at the end of my life in New York City.
1: What a segue, because I want to start where you came from. So I'm not sure if anybody knows, but you are from a very small town in Lone Wolf, Oklahoma. Is that right?
3: Yeah, it's uh, population is about 300 or so. That's the total population. It's 300, 350. Most of the people live kind of out in the country on their farms as, uh, as my twin brother and I uh, did uh, when we lived there. We ended up moving to Oklahoma City shortly after we graduated. Um, graduated high school? Uh, graduated high school and tech school. We both went to uh, graphic design school. Mm. My brother is still in graphic design and I kind of split off from that. I worked in graphic design and print for a while. The thing is we both graduated very early. We kind of like fast tracked through school just because like, by the end of it, uh, we were teaching, helping teach the class with our, our professor and um, uh, the dean of the school said that if we both got jobs, uh, job offers that he would graduate as early. And like the next week I got a job offer, moved to Oklahoma city. Um, did that for a while, then got tired of it. Um, got out of it to open up a a vintage scooter and motorcycle shop, did that for a while, sold that because it was, it was pretty, it's a pretty awesome place. And we had a lot of offers and, um, it was, it was a pretty fun time, but I was also actually my business partner at the time was a, uh, uh, sales guy for Glazer, which is kind of like the uh, Southerner Empire, you know, the big distributor liquor distributor in uh, Oklahoma and Texas, and and a lot of the uh, a lot of the country actually. So uh, I got a, I kind of got like an insight to that side of the job, but this is all before I ever worked in the service industry. I guess you, you could say I worked in the service industry when I was like in high school when I was working at the state park at a snow cone stand with like putt putt golf (laughs) um so i made some snow cones but uh that was i guess that was my first service like drinks making job but i mean before that I, i i don't know i always had this kind of curiosity with it like i bought my first cocktail book when i was like 12 years old uh i'm saying like a lot Twelve, cool. huh? Yeah, yeah. I wanna was. I
1: want to pause for a second though, because three hundred people, like to me, I don't know, I grew up in a suburb in New York. That sounds crazy. Three hundred people. What are your parents doing? You said you grew up on a farm?
3: Yeah, I mean we grew up in town. Well, in in the middle of town we also had a field where we grew like corn and and wheat. Uh mostly wheat most of the time. Um, but the farm is just about a mile and a half north of Lone Wolf, Oklahoma.
1: Are your parents still there?
3: Yeah. Alive and kicking ass and uh yeah, hanging out. They like to come to New York City because they love the food and the culture. You know, they've got their, their quiet life there, but then, you know, my brother moved out to San Francisco about nine months ago, so they get to uh, do the bi coastal tra- tra- traveling. You know, they, they really like it. They, they love the weirdness of uh, both cities and also the greatness of, uh, they're really into food and drinks as well.
1: Amazing. I mean, so you say you're 12 years old, you're still in Lone Wolf when you get your first cocktail book.
3: Yeah, so what we would do is, uh, every Sunday after church, we would drive to, there are no restaurants in Lone Wolf. There's only one gas station. There's no stoplight at all. The The town itself is only a mile long, by about a half a mile wide. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of nestled, there's Quartz Mountain State Park, which is just south of Lone Wolf, which is technically part of Lone Wolf, um, but people usually give it credit to Altus, Oklahoma, which is 26 miles south. So we would we would drive usually south to either Blair, Oklahoma or uh Altus, Oklahoma where there's it's kind of the closest city where there's a big air force base and we would go to we'd go have lunch uh after church there was this place called I believe it was called Luigi's, you know, t- totally stereotypical like Italian place in Blair, Oklahoma, which I actually got kicked out of uh I'm not allowed back there. And <laughs> that's a totally different show story. Um, but uh, we would go to a record store, record and book and video store called Hastings, which is kind of big around, or it used to be big around there back when there were still like record stores, you know, when you could do that kind of thing. And I would always, like, you know, go flip through the records, you know, buy my Dead Kennedys albums, and uh, then go to the magazines that look, look at Hot Rod and Motorcycle magazines, because my brother and I and my dad always you know, collected it kind of restore classic cars and uh then i'd make my way over to the book section and i remember one time my buddy our best friend mark uh and i like we uh, were all hanging out together one time at hastings and i was in the cookbook section i was drawn to it uh and i think we were just like at a very young age you know we were we were all learning to play guitars together and uh this is like you know early 90s so, Guns N' Roses, huge fan yes. still, and uh, every photo you'd see in like guitar magazines or music magazines, they always had a bottle of Jack Daniels with them, you know, or some Budweisers, and uh, I was like, all right, cool. So I guess to, uh, I was definitely influenced by the rock and roll thing, and so I was like, all right, I guess so. To be a rock and roll guy, you gotta drink alcohol. So <laughs> I found myself in the the cocktail book section, which was about you know three books wide, and there was this book called Sex on the Beach and Other Wild Drinks. And uh, Brian Miller uh, actually has a copy of it. I've, I was flipping through his library one day. I'm like, oh my God, this is the first cocktail book I ever bought. And it's just totally ridiculous. It's like Purple Hooters and... Uh, you know sex on the beach and like it's just like really bad like 70s 80s style drinks yeah looking colored. at this book now it's awesome it's and pretty it's, sweet they call
1: it the hippest hottest most happening bar guide for generation
3: xers dude yeah <laughs> exactly exactly that thing uh you could probably fetch a uh, you know a few hundred for that in here in you know bushwick or williamsburg because it's super brightly like neon colored and and crazy
1: yeah meanwhile it's going for one penny on amazon right now
3: <laughs> yeah that sounds about right um, it, totally ridiculous book. Um, but I, you know, I picked up a couple of other. You know, sometimes I would see in like magazines they would have like a cocktail recipe in the back or something. And even just looking at this one book, you know, reading like what is curaçao? You know, or you know, I didn't know what the hell any of this stuff was. Triple sec? That sounds weird. And you're twelve. I imagine you hadn't really I, been drinking yet, or no, no, I hadn't. I had right. busted in my parents' liquor cabinet a little bit, but uh, but you know, there were. There were things that I just, I didn't know what they were, but I was intrigued by it. I think just the recipes and the technicality of it coming from like doing mechanical work on, you know, cars and like working on guitars and like ripping apart my alarm clock and stereo when I was a kid. I think there was, you know, I always like to work with my hands, you know, eventually working in like print and then, you know, and then, you know, doing the, the scooter shop and then. So the assembly of the drinks is what. I think kinda, that's what it yeah. is. I think it's just like, and my dad, he, um, he was a county commissioner of our county and but he got into it with a uh uh engineering degree uh mechanical engineering degree to uh it, like his whole thing was he he just like the idea of building he loves bridges and he likes the idea of bridges and i always thought that was pretty poetic you know just connecting people and also like you're building something to build relationships you know you're connecting people and i think that's there's something I don't want to uh, you know put too close of a connection there, but I think like building a cocktail is very similar. You know, um, you have you know these ingredients, you have like steps of the production, and you're ultimately as bartender, you're you're connecting people, you're you're hosting, you're entertaining people, and I think I think there was always like I always knew that in my mind, I knew always knew that there was like like when my parents would have people over and they would be mixing orange juice and cranberry and i'm like oh that sounds like a great idea and they're like can i have a drink of that no (laughs) i'm like oh later on i realized there was vodka in there but uh yeah but i I, you know kind of like realized the cocktail party kind of thing the environment like where we'd have like catfish fries and people would dance and i'd drink a beer you know it just you know like it was entertainment for everyone
1: so what was the first what are some of the earliest
3: memories you have of imbibing Um, man, I should probably not tell this. My mom's probably listening to this. Um, I I remember like having sips of my dad's beer, you know, occasionally when I was very, very young. Um, but also I remember, you know, going to high school parties and, uh, I I remember the first times I made a proper, well, as close to a cocktail as possible. I remember making margaritas at uh, a friend's house further out in the country from, uh, me and my brother's place but i would make margaritas and i would they would have limes there for garnish but i would i would cut them up and juice them you know like they they had roses lime juice or you know whatever canned like dull like the frozen concentrate stuff that you mix with water you know they would have uh which that stuff's awesome you just empty the can into a pitcher and then you fill the can three times and stir it up and you got your your mix but i remember juicing lim or limes into margaritas and they were like Damon, you make the best margaritas. And here I am, probably like 15. And, um, actually, I think that's what stopped getting me beat up. <laughs> it's making a good margarita. But, you know, this is, this is, you know, 20 years before now. And, you know, using those, those steps to make something that tastes better. And just the same way as, like, you know, on our farm, you know, like always cooking and, uh, and, uh, Doing stuff the right way, you know. It you told me a story
1: about—I don't know if you care to repeat it—about your Angostura bitters.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was probably about. My mom hates this story, by the way, um, but it does involve uh, my first, like, kind of like real culinary uh, experience, which is different from most. But um there's this uh, chain, small chain of uh, grocery stores in Oklahoma, some in Texas, called United Supermarkets. And, um, real awesome blue and white tile floors. And, uh, they, you know, everyone has to wear these smocks that are blue, but I worked in, in, when I was in high school, I worked in the frozen food and dairy department. So I got to wear this like blazer, this blue blazer, um, Kind of like a chef coat slash blazer thing, and I just felt like a badass. I felt like I was like in charge, you know. And I learned a lot of responsibility. Like my the only other people were blazers in the place were the green blazers, and those were the guys in produce. So we had the same kind of responsibilities where we had to learn, uh, you know, you know, like rotating uh, through stock and you know checking the dates on everything, you know. Anyway, so about five years before this, six years maybe, uh, it must have been eleven or so. We were. I mean, this is our grocery store, and my mom actually worked there. My brother and I both worked there through high school, and my mom worked there when she was in high school. So it's kind of like a strange, like, <laughs> um, cool thing. And uh, yeah, I was—they uh, also—they didn't—they didn't sell alcohol at all. No beer, wine, or anything. Um. Yeah, we went there one day, and I was like looking around the beverage aisle and like looking all over the place. And I'm like, "Whoa, there's no beer, wine, or spirits here. This is crazy." Where do you get this stuff? So, and then I, you know, I'm looking around like the Mr. and Mrs. T's, Mr. Boss, and like mixers and stuff like that. And I look at the back labels and I'm like, huh, no alcohol. That's weird. And then I see this little bottle with an ill fitting white label and a yellow cap on it at Angus a Bitters. And I'm like, I look at it and say, oh, oh, here we go. Jackpot, 44.7% alcohol. It's not scheduled as an alcohol product, it's uh, scheduled as a, uh, a food product. Because people use it in baking all kinds of stuff so uh i was really nervous about it because i'm like wait a minute i'm like way too young to do any of this but i'm like all right this is a tiny bottle i'm just gonna steal it so I stole a bottle i put it in my pocket um get back home i'm like all right cool we're about to party go around like the tool shed uh take off the cap and i notice the dasher top on it and um i'm like what the hell is this what is this stupid shit so, um, like any good Oki kid, I've got a pocket knife on me. And so, uh, I just kind of like pop the top off. I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> but, I will have to say, and I've, I've given Nick Jarrett a lot of shit about this over the years, that I, I started the uh, taking a shot of Angostura trend.
1: <laughs> all the way back then? All the way
3: back then, like 20 plus years ago
1: unbelievable um, I want to stop right there I think yeah, it's a good point to segue we'll get into what happens when you land to New York after the break uh, you're listening to the speakeasy with guest Damon Bolte <laughs> on Heritage Radio Network we will be right back
0: <laughs> went to the preacher said I'm a man of sin still did me the fear of God but all he was man and I'm going
2: We're thrilled to announce a special event, The Silver Snail, 25 Years of Slow Food. This event is hosted by Slow Food USA, Heritage Radio Network, and Roberta's Pizza. It's been 25 years since Carlo Petrini and a group of activists launched a peaceful revolution to defend regional traditions, good food, gastronomic pleasure, and the slow pace of life. The slow food movement has since evolved into a comprehensive approach to food that recognizes strong connections between plate, planet, people, politics, and culture. Today, this movement involves thousands of projects and millions of people in more than 160 countries worldwide. Join us for a dialogue between Slow Foods founder Carlo Petrini and locavore activist Alice Waters as they reflect on the evolution of the food movement and all things slow friday october 3rd from eleven thirty to 2 30 you can go to our website and click on the link on the right hand side of the page to rsvp we can't wait to see you there
1: Mictor's distillery is a proud sponsor of in the drink and heritage Radio at Mictor's our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible when you only make small-batch and single-barrel whiskeys like Mictor's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower-barrel entry-proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Mictor's master distiller says it's just right. Mictor's cost be damned, taste is everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit mictors.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I am your guest host, Jack Inslee, joined here with Damon Bolti host of the speakeasy guest today. We're talking about his life story, uh, <laughs> cramming it in 30 minutes, if that's even possible. We've got a whole bunch of awesome insight and anecdotes from lone wolf, Oklahoma, from generation X cocktail books <laughs> to taking shots of Angostura. Yeah. And, uh, so so, just trying to retrace the steps. Um, you end up doing design work and uh, selling motorcycles in Oklahoma City, and then somehow you land in New York. So how how do you get to New York? Oh yeah.
3: Well, the thing is, like after my partner and I sold the uh, the shop, we like as soon as we opened the shop, people were trying to buy it off of us, like the local Harley dealership, the local BMW motorcycle dealership. We ended up uh, after a year and a half, two years ended up selling to an individual rather than selling to a larger corporation he was just really into it also my business partner was having like his third kid and he's married and he's working full-time as a sales rep i was i was kind of burnt out to be honest with you because i was at the shop every day um but uh after that and like around that time my band back then my, my old band in oklahoma city was kind of blowing up and we were touring a lot i was working at a guitar shop and uh then uh my buddy brian had this bar called the electro lounge which isn't there anymore not because of any like kind of fail or anything like that but he just he changed concepts and then he expanded and he has a really successful like chain of restaurants now like independent restaurants um but i would i would go over to his bar which was like right across the street from the guitar shop i worked at and um you know i would always talk with this guy about like cocktails and he was like the only dude in oklahoma city at the time that like knew how to make cocktails and i was you know a home enthusiast i'd make cocktails at home like after my band would play shows we'd go to our like me and my brother's house and i would make drinks we would talk about like whiskeys and stuff like that so that's kind of how i got into making drinks um and we would chat about this he would you know he, I, I knew a lot of this from reading cocktail books, but I'd never worked in it. So you don't really know until you get your hands on it. So I'm sitting there at his bar one day and I'm like, dude, I'm like 24 years old at this point. And I had worked in graphic design and print I owned a motorcycle shop, uh, worked in guitar shops and toured with my band. I'm like, dude, I've done everything in my life that I want to do. And I'm not even 25 yet. This is crazy. What am I going to do? And as I was sipping a Manhattan cocktail, the answer was right under my nose, literally. Like, okay, the city and the idea were both under my nose, you know? So I'm like, all right, I'm going to move to New York City and start cocktailing. Well, I had never bartended before. I asked him to give me a bartending job, and he said, you're crazy. He's like, but you're my friend. All right, tell you what, go work somewhere else for six months in a restaurant or a bar and, uh, We'll talk, we'll talk six months later. So I go get a job as a waiter at this place where a bunch of my buddies worked. Um, I'm on the floor. It freaked me out the first day because the manager, who was a friend of mine, it was a lunch shift, and it was kind of like a fancy like kind of steakhouse barbecue place, and he just said, just think about how many cows had to die today to feed all these guys, because <laughs> it was close to the Capitol. So all the, the <laughs> Capitol guys would come over in their, their suits, and they're like big, oaky guys and i was like dude don't say that to me that's terrible don't don't scare me away from this um anyway uh i was on the floor for like 2 weeks nagging the bartenders because they didn't know what was any of the cocktails like when people would ask for a manhattan they'd shake it and they'd put cherry juice in it you know all the terrible stuff that people do when they don't know you know they're just like kind of like calling it you know phoning it in um so i was kind of nagging them they were complaining about me 2 weeks later they're owners were like "Ah, let's give this guy a bartending job because clearly he knows more than the other bartenders um and then uh yeah so i was a bartender pretty quickly into it and my buddy brian was like what the hell just happened how are you bartending already like i don't know man i'm like i learned from the best guy and he's like all right dude like three months into it like the time got cut in half so he was like all right i'll give you a job so then I started working in his bar and I was only, I was actually only bartending about a little over a year before I moved to New York city. My brother and I both decided that we had kind of, uh, uh, kind of outgrew the city, even though it's a great city. Now it's completely different. It, there's cocktail bars and awesome restaurants. everywhere. It's I, it's actually one of the, it, like culturally, it, like as far as like time, the timeline goes, it's really advanced pretty heavily. Um, uh, but yeah i moved here and then you know worked for
1: so you just up and got on a plane and went to new york i mean did you have any support systems any leads on work or living situations
3: well my brother had he was dating a girl here and um so there was a little bit of a support system um we'd all got an apartment together uh big loft in Greenpoint, uh, which i still kind of miss but uh yeah i mean like we sold our house um we were just like, all right, you know, we could keep this, or we could, we can just move, just go for it. We try to sell. We're we're collectors. Me and my brother like collect cars and guitars and records and motorcycles and scooters and all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, so it was. We thought we'd sold a lot of the stuff off, but we ended up having too much. We moved here with two vans full of stuff. It was like that's too much for New York City. So eventually, kind of like started stripping things down, but. um yeah, I mean, we moved here. I got a job at a uh, a place that's no longer there anymore, a Japanese dessert bar called Kyoto Fu in Hills Kitchen. Um, and uh, it was cool because I was getting into sake and choo-choo at the time, so it kind of worked out. Um, I was there for not very long before I ended up moving on to uh, work at Linnell's, the the fabled uh, spirit and wine shop that uh, seems like a just a a fantasy place now, you know, um, it was, it was, you know, not a lot of money to work there, but, um, it was a a huge honor to be able to work there with Lanelle and learn from her. And not just about like spirits and wine, but about cocktails and also about, you know, hospitality, which she wasn't always the best at, to be fair, but, uh, she, she knew how to run a business and, and does. Um, and then that's how I met the Franks one day when, uh, Frank Falsanelli came in, he, uh, he, he was like, I, he was wearing a Frankie shirt first of all. Awesome. And I was like, Hey man, I like that place. You guys have a cocktail with, uh, the base spirit is Nardini Amaro. And he was like, yeah, totally. I'm like, do you, do you work there or something? He was like, <laughs> yeah, I work there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right. He's like, I'm Frank. I'm like, Oh, okay guy. And, uh, so we're walking around the shop. I'm helping him out. And he's like, just give me whatever the most baller thing is that you like. Just like hook me up with some stuff. I'm like, all right, cool took him over to the whiskey section where we'd had the first edition charbet uh hop flavored whiskey which basically they distill the racer number five ipa and uh i mean i I was just honest with him i know the whole frankie's vibe so i was like dude it's like cash strength whiskey with weed in it and he's like sold well we get to the counter and his bill's over a thousand dollars and he's like dude what how'd that happen like well this bottle's 350 bucks he's like whoa Okay, uh, I'm putting that back. I love your style, man, but uh, that's crazy. So we, I gave them my card, and two weeks later, they called me up to uh, consult um, wow. for Frankie's. So I did that um, for about three months. I had a short contract with them, just revamping Frankie's uh, cocktail program. Bar where program.
1: were they at at this stage in their development?
3: Mm, this is over six years ago, and we just uh, celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Um, if I can even say we, I think I can. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, right before prime meets. So actually we were having like a little lunch and I had finished my consulting job for them. I had other consulting jobs lined up. And
1: and you're consulting them on the beverage program, mm-hmm. A to Z or just
3: the spirits? Yeah. I mean, they had, they had their, yeah, just the spirits and cocktails. Cause they, they had a strong wine program, but they were, they were kind of like working on their, they realized that they had their shit down as far as the kitchen, the food goes, and the vibe and everything, but they needed a little finessing on the bar. So that's where I came in, did that, um, and then uh, I thought I was done, and then they told me about Prime Meats. They showed me the, the empty room, and I got to, uh, I was like, all right, they told me about the uh, the concept, and I was like, well, man, if I had the money to do it myself right now, this is what I'd be doing. So um, yeah, I came on, I thought as a consultant for, for Prime Meats, but then they ended up, not letting me go, (laughs) which is uh, one of the greatest things uh, that ever happened to me. It's been uh, it's been an awesome ride and um, yeah, well, these guy's, I love that place. Uh, It's gone through some different phases over the past, you know, five plus years uh, or just about five years Um, and uh, but all good stuff. And I really, I've, I've gotten to work with like actually like every notable bartender in New York city. I mean, I've worked with Jim Kearns, Nate Dumas, Thomas Waugh, Cabell Tomlinson, Katie Stipe, Natasha David. Um, the list goes on and on. Uh, Frank Cisneros, uh, Frankie Cocktails. Actually, Frankie Cocktails, Frank Cisneros, got the nickname from working at Prime Eats because there are already too many Franks. So the Franks came to me and they're like, dude, you can't hire this guy. And I'm like, why not? And he's like, there's just too many Franks, man. And then <laughs> Travis, one of the managing partners, was like, let's just give him a nickname man let's call him like frankie mustache or because he had a curly mustache at the time uh everyone did at that point <laughs> um i'm like eh, just call him frankie cocktails and it fit the neighborhood too. the whole like carol, uh, carol gardens vibe like south brooklyn
0: yeah frankie
3: cocktails so that's where he got the nickname. And a lot of people gave him shit for it because this is like, you know, five years ago when like cocktail bartending was like just like really hitting the, the mainstream and everyone's trying to be like the arm gartered, curly mustache guy. Um, and they're like, fuck you for taking like putting giving yourself this moniker. And he's like, dude, he had to explain it hundreds of times. Like, it's only because there are too many Franks in the building. But, um, but he kept it well he doesn't call himself frankie cocktails but people still do from fair the, enough who, who know him from that time um but yeah i mean it's been i've been really blessed to work with so many amazing people and i you know i've got garrett richard and um uh, kate warren nikki and um gino plurin and uh jeff Galley. you've got all these awesome like newer people in my life um uh, and and it's just great it's like the the staff that that's at Priming's has always been badass. I've got Robbie Nelson, Tristan Willie, like they both, you know, hang out and work there. It's like they're just amazing people. Really, like I feel like the quality of the bar staff there has always been just top notch. And through that place, also, I just I've gotten the opportunities, like not, no, I guess not just through that place, but like through Linnell's. Like I've, I've had the opportunity to work with so many awesome brands and do a lot of event work and just go on some awesome trips. And, and it's know. exploded basically since that happened. Yeah, since, like, the, well, I mean, I think the Linnell's thing really kind of, like, pushed me in a direction. Obviously. Is that
1: when you started really, like, reading up on stuff? Because, I mean, you, you you know a lot, and it seems like even when you met Frank, like, you knew your shit. So, I mean, had you been
3: researching heavy? I, I had been researching heavy, heavily before I worked at Linnell's, and I think that's most of the reason why I got the job. I mean, like, and plus, like, you know... Uh, i think before like when she called me for an interview she, you know she's like you want to get a coffee or something And i was like uh sure or we could just you know meet for a beer and she was like all right sold <laughs> but um no i you know i just i like i said before you know buy my first book when i was 12 i, I just love the production of cocktails but I, you know that's not really it either it's I like the social aspects. I always say it's like as a bartender, you've got so many elements, you know, you've got political, social, um, scientific, you've got like all these like religious, I mean, I almost went into seminary when I was in high school. I'm glad I went to graphic design. That's a whole other show too. Um, but uh, I just like being a bartender and like even like the first, I don't know, the first time I was ever asked if I was a bartender or mixologist, I said I'm a bartender, you know, like. I don't sit in a room like in a lab, you know, coming up with weird things. I do it in a bar. That's my lab. That's my, my room, you know. I'm inviting people in. I want to be a host. Um, I've always wanted to host people and, uh, and you know, make drinks from. them. Not just make drinks from. them, just like set an environment. You know, I play in a band. You know, it's the same thing. It's like you're creating a vibe in a room, in a place, at a time, and you're creating experience for someone. Or hopefully, a lot of people. And that's really what it's all about, being a bartender. And I've just been lucky enough to be able to do it in so many different ways, you know, like working with spirits brands, going on these trips, doing like press stuff, like the show, you know, like, um, I've been in a show for almost four years now. And part of that was because, and the reason why I got the show is because Patrick Martin, uh, the founder of this, uh, of heritage food and heritage radio network, which I've got to get, give a huge thank you to. Um, he was coming to my bar all the time and, uh, we would talk about music and we would talk about cocktails and, you know, um, he thought that that was interesting and, you know, cause a lot of my menus and cocktails I'll, I'll name after albums or bands or songs, you know, or, or a lyric or you know, that's where I get most of my influence from. And so, He invited me on the show one day. He kept trying to get me on the show, on his show, on the main course, uh, and it didn't work out, didn't work out, and finally it did, and it just happened to be on December 5th, which is Repeal Day. So, you know, of course, I didn't know what I was going to talk about before, but then the fact that it was, you know, Repeal Day, I had plenty to talk about, and uh, it was really great. Um, And then, you know, uh, the next week, he asked me if I wanted my own show, so... That's how it all happened, you know, and uh,
1: I remember well, yeah, just to fact check you here. Absolutely right. December 5th, 2010. Damon is on the main course with uh, Daniel Holzman of the meatball meatball shot, which is a funny, funny to compare because, I mean, a lot's happened for him over the past four years, Mm -hmm. five years almost now. Um, Incredible, though. And I remember meeting you. And you had a really big beard at that point. Yeah. I that was like the big, big, big beard. You were a pretty intimidating dude at the, <laughs> at the time. And uh, here you are four years later, and your show has become an institution.
3: Thanks, man. I, You know, I, I just love how many people are actually listening to it. It's four years ago. I never would have believed that this many people would be into it. And sometimes I'll walk into a bar in like another city, and I'll order a drink, and someone will recognize my voice. and like, oh, shit. Are you damn... Do you host a radio show? I'm like, yeah, man. The Speakies and like, dude, we've been listening to your show for years. And like, you know, sometimes you know, we've had the uh, the Norwegians on, you know, like a few years back. And uh, Brian Miller was very, very awesome to uh, come and like give moral support for them because they were very nervous about being on the air. But it's awesome because they'll, you know, they've told me they listen to the show when they're like shutting down the bar, you know, because of the time the time difference. And it's just it's just really cool, man. I I feel really blessed to, um, be able to have this medium and uh, and have so many amazing guests on. I feel like you know like really memorable moments like having uh, you know the Bushwick Country Club guys on telling ghost stories, uh, you know, having Dale and Jill DeGroff on and playing like getting to play. Songs on guitars with Dale and Jill DeGroff. thats insane, you know. Like this is like this is stuff that doesn't happen at your your cocktail events, you know, or you know, in it in a magazine article. N- nothing wrong with magazine articles, obviously, but um, but you know, it's just like there's to have this medium and have people just to have so many people that are enthusiastic about what we do in the the food and beverage industry, not just the beverage industry. It just just to see the excitement and the park, prog- you know, the progress over the years, it's really amazing. And I feel absolutely just, a- I couldn't feel any more excited and flattered to even be part of it. You know,
1: the feelings mutual buddy. Thanks for letting me host you this week that was really, really awesome to hear your story. And I hope listeners, um, appreciate that as well. And, and, just uh, know you a little bit more after this week.
3: Awesome, man. Thanks for the idea. That's really cool. Let's do it in another four years.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see what happens four years from now. Um, well, that's it for the speakeasy. You can tune into the speakeasy every Wednesday, 3 p.m. One of the rare shows that's really kept its time slot here on Heritage Radio. Yeah. Wednesdays at 3. That's uh, live on heritageradionetwork.org or podcasted in iTunes. Damon, man. Thanks thanks for telling your story.
3: Thanks a lot, Jack, and thank you, Heritage Radio Network. You've been so awesome to me and to the community, and can't thank you enough.
1: Well, we'll see you next week All right. for another awesome episode of The Speakeasy. Right, cheers.
2: Listening to this program on HeritageRadio Network.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradio network.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.